We pray for the Spirit's guidance, our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life. I just pray that the words of your scriptures, the words of your truth, speak to us today, Lord. I pray that you give us a measure of maturity that we we didn't have when we came in here. I pray you guide my tongue. Give your people to hear what you would have them hear from this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 9, starting in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heaven, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you... Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. You may be seated. This is the third message on concerning God's kingdom, taking dominion. And uh, this will be the final one on it. I mean, these are interesting to me, but... uh, So this is going to have a little bit of a shotgun effect. (laughs) So expect it. Guilty as charged. I'm trying to condense what we've learned thus far with this message. So if you haven't heard the other two, you may want to go back and listen if you have questions afterwards. But we see here a renewal of the covenant. God bless Noah and his sons. They are the remnant of mankind. Remember, the rest of mankind were killed in the flood. But God, out of his mercy, he rescued Noah and his sons. You know, and that's how God is with us. We deserve hell for our sinfulness. Bottom line none of us are good, none of us are righteous. Yet God in his mercy saves us. But also he declares for his people in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a promise from God. That should be on our hearts all the time. God wants us to have a future and a hope. That is his desire for us. And it's a good promise. 
the promise that he promised Noah and his sons were part of that, fulfilling the earth. That's how he blessed his people. Spread out on the earth, fill it, you know, and we've seen that. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. You know, it's amazing. You read about the Eskimos in the coldest climates, surviving and thriving. People in the desert, the hottest areas, thriving, living, multiplying. People in high altitudes. They say it takes like two generations if somebody would move up there to those high altitude places before they'd be accustomed to living in that environment. Yet people are thriving. It's God's will being fulfilled by mankind to go and fill the earth. Now it tells us in Psalm 115, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. He has given it to us. Not as if we own it, we rent it. It's his. He has given it to us to use, to take dominion. And his blessings continue. You know, this is not an idyllic garden, idyllic, I think, is that a word? An ideal garden, like Adam had. Where Adam could decide to do something, and there wasn't a trade-off. There wasn't something that was negative, that something else had to be given up. The earth was not cursed yet. The ground was not cursed. There wasn't sin So Adam ruled out of love. But now it's different. It tells us the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are delivered. For every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now we rule a wilderness where fear is a necessity. For the person taking dominion, fear is a necessity. The animals will now be ruled with fear. They will dread mankind. Again, it's because we are not given that perfect garden We're given a wilderness to subdue. Animals will fear us, which is a blessing. Because when animals do not fear man, they become aggressive. They become aggressive. Out east I read where these people who love to camp, Like the raccoons, they thought it was terrible that the county parks allowed trapping of the raccoons in the county parks. Now, some of these county parks 
were like Devil's Lake. Hundreds, if not thousands of acres with a few camping areas and the rest wildlands. So they banned all trapping, all hunting within the parks. So the campers could enjoy viewing and seeing the lovely raccoons. Well, the lovely raccoons realized that man no longer feared them. So when the campers would come in, they'd attack the picnic baskets, the coolers, the campers. And if the people tried to chase them away, they were biting the children and the people. The raccoons lost the fear of man. So after a couple of years, they were paying trappers to come in and paying them a bounty to kill the raccoons. Because of the aggressiveness. I bring this up because we do not live in an idyllic garden. We live in a wilderness that must be controlled and maintained. And the fear of animals is necessary. It's necessary. It does not mean we abuse animals. God will judge us for that. But animals were put under man's domain. They are created for the benefit of man. They are different than man. And that balance must be kept because it is given to us by God. We cannot reverse that balance. We cannot equate man and animals on the same par. I know many of the movies like Bambi and uh, uh, Babe about the pig and Furry Vengeance personalize like human traits to these animals. Make sure you teach your children that's pretend. Because many want us to be subjected to the animals and put them over us. But we must never take the life of an animal carelessly. It's one of God's creatures. He sees every animal that falls. and There should be a legitimate biblical reason for their death. It tells us in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. God knows His creatures. He knows His creation. He sees the animals. He knows when they die. And He has required us to be the stewards of these treasures. And we are to do it the best that we possibly can. We will not do it perfectly. We're sinners. We live in a fallen world. Mistakes will be made. Expect it. Change it and go on. But God will not tolerate animal abuse. He tells us in Genesis 49.5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men 
and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. These were cruel men. They were cruel to other men. They were cruel to oxen. They're cutting their tendons, crippling them. And God judged them. He said they would be scattered. God wants us to take, or commands us to take dominion over the animals, but not to abuse, abuse them. Never to abuse them. However, man is above the animals. We are not on par with the animals. We are above them. God tells us, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. What God is saying here, even if an animal kills a person, that animal must be put to death. There's other verses in, in Exodus and uh, the law that tell us, but in Exodus 21:28 tells us when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall not or shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. You see, God keeps us above man. But also he says uh, men who act like animals should be executed as well. Boy, it would be a better world if we had that. That's another sermon, sorry. You know, even the domestic animals, they should have a rightful understanding who is in charge. And when we treat these animals animals in a biblical manner, they will understand that. In Isaiah 1.3 it says, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. talks about Israel does not know, my people do not understand. But there is a relationship when you have domesticated animals. You are attached to the animals. You care about your animals. A good farmer cares about his livestock. There is an attachment. Just like our cats and dogs, but the farm animals as well. We care about them. And that's a good thing. It's a biblical thing. But they are under us. We are commanded to take dominion. And just a reminder of some of the points, what that means. What we start with is the earth is the Lord and all that dwell in it. And I add to that, because He created it. That's our basis for everything. It's God's. He made it. He created it. Our God is omnipotent. 
He not only sees what we do, he sees our hearts and our actions, our thoughts behind why we do it. He knows the condition of our hearts. He understands it. We are set apart from the animals. It is us, his image bearers. And we have been given the privilege over creation to take dominion. Which means we should seek out each of our individual callings. It is the Christian's task to be the standard bearers in all areas of life. Remember in that Timothy verse, it says to make the saints of God fully equipped for teaching, for rebuking. That must be the goal of us as believers, to take dominion in all areas on the earth. And we must look at that as a cross-generational challenge. We teach our children to advance in fields that they are called. They teach their children to advance further and further. We take dominion piece by piece. We're called to do it. God will equip us to do it. We have power from on high. So we as believers must seek out biblical solutions for all areas of life. The Christian is not restricted from any areas. I'm sick of being told, oh, we shouldn't have anything to do with politics. It's dirty. Well, who will then? The wicked. Number six, both men in creation, we both groan under the weight of sin. We won't find perfect solutions. You heard me say one or two messages ago, there's always a trade-off now. If you want a, a productive field for grain to feed a lot of people, you may have to give up a woods. You may have to clear it. We live in a fallen world. Things will not be perfect. But we also live in a world that will sustain itself and God says we'll be have harvesting and planting till he comes. So he has provided food for all of mankind who he has created. Yes, there will be starvation, there will be trials, but usually it's because of war and the wickedness of men. And here is one point we must never, ever forget. Those living on the margins must be considered. The widow, the orphan, the poor, the needy, the crippled. Those truly living on the margins must always be considered and provided for. And I will add, one of the best ways to do that is keep food as a re- at a reasonable price. This task is enormous. But with divine help, it is doable. And again, 
It, it may not be doable in our lifetimes, but it must be cross-generational. As the church advances, it takes dominion in all areas of life. And it will mean making tough decisions, unpopular decisions, and correcting wrong decisions. And we must do that by increasing in our reading and our knowledge in whatever field God has called us into. So that we can decide based on the Bible, but also the knowledge in that field. So the scientists I mentioned in that first message did. They understood they were seeking out the treasures God had hidden for mankind. And they acknowledged that, and they found them. That's how we must train our children and ourselves. Remember, you're working as if unto the Lord. Give Him your best wherever He calls you. I can't tell you where God is calling you into what field or what interest. And you can have these interests outside of your jobs. If God is burdening your hearts for a particular interest, go for it. See where God will take you in that. He'll take you where you don't expect to go. So how do we address some of the concerns we see in society today? How about meat eating? If you listen to some stations, you'd think it was a, a sin if you ate meat. They want you to eat bugs. They can eat bugs. I'm not eating bugs. We must remember the earth is very resilient. And if God has given us these animals to eat, He will provide the food and the way to feed mankind. Cattle, sheep, and goats were all a commodity for God's people in the past. They were not only domesticated by God's people, but by people around the world. And the eating of domestic animals has continued to this day. Now there are many different opinions as to how these animals should be raised. There should be. How do you go from a rural society where you're more attached to your food source. I read the history of Watertown. And they said in the early Watertown, every family or every other family shared a milk cow. That's changing. You can't share milk cows in Chicago. So how do we address that? How do we feed the big cities who have no attachment to the food? You know, like I say, these these. Challenges are enormous. But remember, we're talking about animals. We're not talking about people. We're talking about animals we're having dominion over, not to be cruel to. So what do we need to do?
You take the responsibility when you domesticate anything. You feed it, you water it, shelter it, and you protect it. That would be mandatory by God. Because you're taking all those things away from it. Many animals that domesticated for a long time, they can't defend themselves like sheep. Feeding, watering, sheltering, and protecting those animals. That's what we need to do. Now, I've spoken to people who've worked at the large dairy in Rosendale. And we took of a huge dairy in Manitowoc that is actually owned by some of Christie's relatives. Is that a biblical way of raising cattle or milk cows? They're pretty much indoors all the time. I know when we took the tour of the one in Manitowoc, they have a full-time vet. Animals are fed, they're watered. There's clean bedding. They're definitely safe. So is it a biblical way to have that many cows? They produce a lot of milk. You know, in both of these big dairies, when I talked to these people, a few questions and that, and they, the guy at both of them, they said the same thing. They, they said, you know, there's hundreds of cows in this building right now, and here we're having a conversation. And I said, yeah, they're really not mooing very much. He says, no, an animal that's content is not mooing. So the animals are content. Is it biblical? Some say they milk them too much. Some of these animals are milked too much and that their lives are shortened because they get as much milk as possible. Is that helping the people on the margin keeping the price down? And I know there's criticisms. Should it be maximized again, the milk production? But they don't get to go outside? Well, they seem pretty content. And when it was 90 degrees out, I'd rather be in the barn than outside. And when it's cold out, I'd rather be in. They have fans. They have curtains for heating in the winter. Some say, well, what about the waste? The enormous amount of waste. And there is. But I'm sure in this area, everybody's seen the big tanker trucks hauling the manure or the huge hoses distributing the manure. 
many of it that is chisel plowed into the soil so it doesn't run into the streams, it doesn't give off bad odor. It's adding nutrients to the soil. So is that a bad thing? Some people say, well, I live out in the country, now I smell manure. Well, if you're going to live out in the country in Wisconsin, you should smell manure. I mean, that's part of living in the country. And I know some smaller dairy farmers feel that these huge farms are given unfair advantages. Yeah, then that would be wrong. And I'm sure that goes on. But that's where we have to step in as believers to give everybody a fair shake. But how do you care and supply food for so many people who live in big cities has to be considered as well. Are they meeting the need and keeping the price down? And again, anything that's unethical and taking advantage or driving small dairies out, which I feel, considering uh, a few big companies own all the milk production places, now I feel that is a real problem talking to some of my dairy, small dairy raising friends. But we can't relate the wickedness to, well, you shouldn't have more than 10 cows, 100 cows. Where do you draw the limit? I don't know. But I know if these animals are being fed, they're being watered, they're being protected, and they have housing, I believe they're being kept biblically according to God's biblical pretext. You know, we have to wrestle with this as believers. We can't wrestle on it with our emotions. Now, I've raised cows, pigs, and goats. I like bigger pens where they can run around and do what they want. But I can't say everybody else has to do it my way. I'm not the standard bearer. I just know... Anybody who has animals, and I think Paul and Sue will verify this, you're the servant of the animals. You're the one getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go out and feed them every day. You're the one busting the ice off the bowl because it froze or the heater went out. And that's every day, day in and day out. And it's because you care for your animals. You know, we must hold to what is biblical as well as possible. And these are not easy decisions. But remember, the feeding of mankind is part of taking dominion. Veal calves is another one. I know some don't like Oh, they're raised. My best, one of my best friends, he raised veal calves. His uncle raised veal calves. I helped feed veal calves. 
But I know every person who raised them, they took extreme care to keep their animals healthy. They fed them, watered them, housed them. But we also have to consider the big picture, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. I know for a while, when I wanted a steer to raise for a beef, I just had to go to any farm I wanted. Signs all over. Free bull calves. Free bull calves. You have to haul them. See, most dairy farmers, they want the heifers to replace the milkers. And the bull calves, at times, were not worth much, if anything. The shippers wouldn't even come and pick them up. So the lives of these bull calves would be ended shortly. But now we have where they raise these calves up to, what is it now, 360, Paul? Yeah, was 300 when years ago. And it's a commodity. Provides food. And better, we raise cheese in Wisconsin. They used to take the whey, a byproduct from cheese, and dump it on the fields. Now they turn it into calf feed. You know, I'd call that taking dominion. You have bull calves that are being culled, which means they're being killed because there's no market for them. And you have a product that's being dumped on the field as waste. And you have people who came together and said, hey, we can turn this into food for mankind. And the most economical way of raising was to keep the calves confined. You know, my friend Jim, he raised them as kosher calves for the Jewish market. So I'm thinking they were looking at this as kind of the fatted calf. But you know, we can't judge emotionally. We have to think, what does this do for mankind and for the feeding of mankind? That has to be part of our solution. Again, I would call that taking dominion. You know, and I'm not going to shy away from any of these controversial that life is complicated. And a lot of this stuff I don't have the answers for. But for us to take dominion, we should be training up our children and our children's children to be true experts in a field. True experts that actually know and understand. And there are men who are true experts in their fields. And there are many who are true, are not true experts. But they must be taught to think biblically and then ethically and then what is the best for mankind. 
Personally, I think we should move back to a more localized food stuff, produce, localized government, where you have people who understand the situations, who understand locally what's going on, not have some bureaucrat 3,000 miles away deciding what is right for mankind, what is right for society. I'd like to give an example. When I was out in Oregon and Washington, we stayed by one of these towns, and it was a river came in. It was not the Columbia River, but it was on similar where the salmon would run up that river. And what I noticed right away were these sea lions. You could not but notice them. They're about the size, well, bigger than the piano with flippers. A male sea lion weighs 2,500 pounds and likes salmon. They eat 8% of their body weight, so about 125 pounds of salmon a day or other marine life. And this was a small harbor, and there had to be 100 of them in there. And to top that off, there were harp seals. They're a little smaller, four to 500 pounds. I don't know how much they eat a day. But there had to be a thousand of those things in the different herds that were. And I'm looking at these poor guys trying to catch a salmon, and I thought, man, you're out of luck. You're talking thousands and thousands of pounds of these animals eating the fish up. I saw a plaque, oh, and I think it was 1968, the first stellar sea lion came back. Everybody, yay, yay! By the Columbia River. After about 20 years, because when one came back and found out it's easy pickings by the fish ladders, the Columbia River which supported commercial fishing. People from angling from all over the world would come there to fish for the salmon. Fish hatcheries that produced millions of dollars worth of young salmon to be put in was completely decimated. There's just hordes of these sea lions eating all the fish. They restricted it for a while where you could keep one fish a season if you're a fisherman. Commercial fishing, I believe, ended. And the sea lions gorged themselves. Because some bureaucrat probably never even saw a sea lion. They decided that sea lions are on the protected species list, except in Alaska where they're still hunted by, for food by the Eskimos. So if you were in charge of the Christian, would you say, oh, we have to leave the sea lions, decimate this food source for people?
How would you decide? What would you base your decisions on? 1 Samuel 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. So is it biblical to kill predators? To protect a food source? David was protecting his father's food source. Is it biblical to shoot some of the sea lions, open up a season on the sea lions, thin them out? Well, actually, they started doing that. Not nearly as many. But then they realized that all they invested in having a sustainable fishery for salmon, a food for people, supply and demand, the demand goes down, the price goes up, the margin of people suffer. People on the margin. Let's bring it a little closer to home. When I first saw the Comorants and read about them, oh, the Comorants are nesting in Wisconsin again. Central Wisconsin. Yippee! I thought it's cool. People from all over came to the Grand River because they had a rookery out there with their cameras, their scopes, the bird watchers. After a few years, though, I was on the flight path from the Grand River to Beaver Dam, and I'd see hordes of these things. Just going out and watering the plants before I went to work, I'd see flocks of 20, 30, 40, sometimes 10, 15 flocks of them. I'm sitting there, these things are going to destroy the fisheries. And lo and behold, I read in one of the magazines for Wisconsin, yeah, the comorants are destroying the perch fisheries. But they're a migratory protected bird, so you can't shoot them. Fortunately, it took a lot of time, but now they're oiling the eggs so they don't hatch and Brian says he sees where the federal agents come up and thin them out with shotguns. Now, now, now we have the pelicans. Yay, the pelicans are here. And now you see hundreds of them. I mean, the girls and I, our whole lives, we fished the tributaries on Beaver Dam Lake and we had all the panfish we ever wanted to eat, and we could give away whatever we didn't want, a food source. We're lucky if we can catch a meal of panfish, but we go there, and there'll be 50 pelicans eating, but they're federally protected. 
decimating the fish supply, and then they try to treat you like you're a real dope that they that these pelicans are only going to eat rough fish, you know, as if they can tell the difference. What do they read the rule book? And any fisherman knows in the spring the panfish they congregate in huge schools to spawn in the shallows, and you can see that's what these pelicans are scarfing down. And if you're not catching any anymore, it doesn't take much to figure out. So now what do you do if you're a Christian? But they're so pretty. If man does not take dominion over the animals, the animals will take dominion over man. If God's law isn't upheld, animals will take dominion over man. It's part of the curse. And I'm going to add that if man does not take, if Christian men do not take dominion over the earth, the wicked men will take dominion and the animals, the human animals will take dominion. And we see that today. When they don't punish people for murder or shoplifting. That is a choice we have. Either we take dominion or we turn it over to the animals to take dominion and say they're above man. It should be up to the local governments. If the comrades and pelicans are destroying a fishery, let them decide. Man and the productivity of the earth for the benefit of man is what is paramount. Not the benefit that you can see hundreds of pelicans and, oh, they're so pretty. And they are a magnificent bird. I'm going to add one more to wild turkeys in towns. I don't know if everybody's seen these videos. Look it up. It's hilarious. See people walking down the street and these turkeys attack them because they lost the fear of men. You can't harm them. You can't hurt the turkeys in town. So they attack people. Sarah said she wished they'd attack them because we'd have turkey for a while to eat. And I believe her. You know, this is, uh, these are not easy decisions. These are challenges that we have. But we have to look at it logically and biblically. We are the crown jewel of God's creation. Not a pelican, not a cormorant, not a sea lion. And if that is raising the price of food, which it is, by predatory it, taking it, increasing the cost. The same thing was the, the Hurons that were decimating the trout fishing ponds. They complained to the DNR, you know, well, they're federally protected, you can't do anything. So the price of trout goes up. So those on the margin can't afford it. But it was ironic because then a few weeks later you see an article in the paper for the DNR fish hatchery in Lake Mills complaining, well, we want to do something about all the herons killing all our fish. Yeah, what a hypocrite. You won't let the landowners kill them, but now you want to. 
Difficult questions. Raise up your children to solve them. I can't. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, be with us and guide us. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. If the deacons would come forward, uh, the loose money will be for the 